Father, again, thank you so much for an opportunity to be together to celebrate and praise you for your son, Jesus, to worship you and to honor you and to declare your excellencies. We thank you for the forgiveness of sins in your son, Jesus. And I pray as we look into your word now that you would use it to conform us to the image of Christ, that we would reflect his nature by your spirit and you would be glorified. Pray this in his name. Amen. As you know, this week has been a tough week for some of us. Um, For me and many of you, we've said our temporal goodbyes to some of our very dear loved ones whom we will dearly miss, uh, but yet we will see them again. We grieve, but we don't grieve like those who do not have any hope. I've had some heavy burdens on my heart this week, and on top of that, as you can tell, I've got a cold. And within that, the Lord has... uh, been encouraging me, I believe, to pray about something that would be an encouragement, first of all, when I study it for myself, and that's what I do when I teach. First and foremost, it's for me first, and then it's for you. We've gone through a lot in the last two years, and there's been a lot of evil. There's been a lot of evil in terms of uh, hatred, thank you, a lot of hatred pointed at uh, me in this church, and, and sometimes we can get distracted by those things, we can be discouraged by those things, and we need to remember what God says in his word, that we would not be or have our eyes pulled off of Christ in the midst of difficulties. So as I was preparing yesterday for Second Peter, felt prompted that maybe we needed to be reminded. I needed to. I don't know about you, but I need to. Reminded of the fact that when difficulty comes, and then even when evil, like we've seen over the last two years, when it comes, that God means it for good. That God means it for good. And I want to take a look at a lesson from the faith of Joseph in a good and faithful God. Would you turn with me to Genesis chapter 50? And this is at the end of the book of Genesis. Some of you were with us when we went through the book. Tremendous book. I just, just in even studying for it yesterday, I just was so blessed to be reminded of what we went through. Tremendous, wonderful, wonderful book, as with all scripture. And you might remember that Genesis was written by the living God through Moses, and it was written for the Israelites who were poised to enter the land. They, were a, they had been a disorganized slave people who were miraculously delivered from their Egyptian bondage. And now, after the first generation had died out in the wilderness, they were poised to enter the promised land. And within this, Genesis would show these Jews who they were, how they got to where they were, why they were God's chosen people, why did they leave Egypt, and where were they going, and why is the land of Canaan so important, and why should they go back and take it? But yet within this, there was something that was so much more important that God was revealing to the book of Genesis. We see in this book the origin and creation of man, the initial blessing of God's perfect creation, and then the loss of blessing through man's sinful disobedience to the word of God. And yet we have salvation promised and pictured right away in Genesis chapter 3. And then within the first 11 chapters, we have the Lord revealing the need of man for salvation. Obviously, the fall in Genesis chapter 3. We have the development of of sin in the manifest in the life of Cain, murdering Abel in chapter 4. We have the worldwide proliferation of sin and God's divine intervention with the flood judgment 
in chapters 6 through 9. After the flood, we have, because man is still sinful, the revival of sin, the Tower of Babel, chapters 10 and 11. And we see, ultimately, that God uh, scatters the, the nations temporarily and abandons them to their idolatry. And then in chapters 12 and on, we see God's plan begin to come to fruition in that God would bring forth through one man seed, the seed of Abraham, blessing, salvation blessing, that God would bring forth Jesus Christ to bring salvation for sin. And then looking at the life of Abraham, we saw the paradigm of faith. We saw God's salvation plan move from Abraham to his son Isaac, then to Jacob, and then to the descendants of Jacob, primarily Joseph. The book of Genesis is about how sin entered into mankind, how mankind lost God's blessing, this blessed relationship with his creator, and how through God's seed he would bring a redeemer, Jesus Christ, in whom all the nations would be blessed by having an opportunity to have their sins forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ. And within this, we see threaded throughout the book of Genesis what genuine faith looks like. And as, as we come to the end of the book, the final chapter, I believe we're going to see in the context of the reality that God meant it for good, we're going to see from Joseph's faith that he had trust and faith in a faithful and good God. Again, Genesis chapter 50. Let's take a look and start in verse 14. And after he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt and, to, and his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. Verse 15, chapter 50. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph should bear a grudge against us and pay us back in full for all the wrong which we did him? So they sent a message to Joseph, saying, Your father charged us before he died, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, Please forgive. I beg, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and their sin, for they did you wrong. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? As for you, you meant it, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many alive. So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke to them kindly. Now Joseph stayed in Egypt, and he and his father's household, and Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw the third generation of Ephraim's sons and the sons of Mashar, the son of Manasseh, who were born who were, were born on Joseph's knees. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely take care of you and bring you up from this land to the land which he promised in, on oath to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones up from here. So Joseph died at the age of 110 years and was embalmed and placed in a coffin 
in Egypt. Now, as I mentioned, we're going to take a look today at the faith of Joseph. And what's interesting is he's only mentioned uh, four places in the New Testament. He's mentioned in a secondary sense in John chapter 4, verse 5. He is mentioned in a historical sense in Acts chapter 7. And the tribe of Joseph is mentioned in Revelation chapter 7, verse 8. You would think there would be a lot more mentioned about Joseph in the New Testament, wouldn't you? Well, there was a lot in the Old, but you would think there'd be more. Now, the only passage we have that directly mentions him and refers to him refers to his faith, and that is in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 22. Turn there while you have your fingers in Genesis. It's in this chapter we have God commending him for his faith or testifying of his faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 22. By faith, when he was dying, by faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the excess of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. Very interesting. That's what the Lord God commends Joseph in regards to his faith. It's surprising that he shares this. Think about Joseph's life. God could have commended him for enduring the suffering that he had gone through for so many years. God could have commended him for enduring, or actually for, 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 for running away from Potiphar's wife's advances. God could have commended him for the wisdom he uh, manifest in presenting a plan to Pharaoh in regards to protecting Egypt from starvation. God could have commended him for the skill he exhibited as the prime minister of Egypt, in a sense, as a second to him. God could have commended him for the forgiveness that he had for his brothers. But what does God commend him of and commend him for? In direct correlation to the faith that he had in God's word and commands. We see that again in Hebrews 11. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the excess of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. And if you look back in chapter 11, verse 6, we see that it is without, without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. What God considers the most important thing in the life of Joseph here we see in the life of his children is their faith. Faith in him. Faith in him. And so with this in mind, we come to the end of the book of Genesis. And it is here, in this last portion of chapter 50, we're going to see two things. One, that our faith must be grounded in the character and sovereignty of God. And then secondly, our faith must be founded in the promises of God. Again, back to Genesis chapter 50. We're going to see, first of all, our faith must be grounded in the character and sovereignty of God. Look at verse 14. And after he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt, he and his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. Jacob had died after living 17 years in the land of Egypt, and according to the promise Joseph had made to him, he brought back Jacob, his father's body, to the land of Canaan and buried him. And there was a great company of the highest Egyptian officials and Joseph's brothers who brought Jacob's body to Canaan Canaan to be buried, and then they had come back. And it's after they returned to Egypt, we have some concern by the brothers 
of Joseph in regards to Joseph. Verse 15, when Joseph's brothers saw that the father was dead, they said, what if Joseph should bear a grudge against us and pay us back in full for all the wrong which we did to him? Now here again, we have an admission of the wickedness and wrong that Joseph's brothers had brought forth upon Joseph. We have an admission from them. And indeed, in Genesis chapter 37, when Joseph was only 17, they were jealous and they desired to murder Joseph. And they threw him into a pit and they were callous to the calls for distress as he was in the pit. His cries for help. They decided to profit off him and sold him into slavery. And this led to many years of slavery in Egypt, which ultimately God used for good. Yet the reality is they wronged him and they wronged him big time and they understood it. And now that their father Jacob was dead, they were concerned that Joseph might bear a grudge. We know what grudges are against them and pay them back for all the wrong that they had done. And they had done a lot of wrong to him. They had done a lot of wrong. And yet they had obviously not come to know the character of Joseph fully yet. But they are guilty, and that guilt is coming to bear on them, and they fear that Joseph might return evil for evil. They fear that. So he was certainly in the, po- in the position, being the number two man in Egypt, the most powerful nation in the world at that time, to actually do anything to them, and they understood that. So what happens? Verse 16. So they sent a message, that's the brothers, to Joseph, saying, Your father charged us before he died, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, Please forgive, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and their son and their sin. <coughs> For they did you wrong. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Now when I initially read this at other times, I kind of thought possibly they were maybe making this up, this thing that the father had done this to try and smooth over the situation. Um, and, and I don't know about that. You know, we know their character was bad beforehand, but here they seem to be genuinely repentant, yet they are fearing Joseph. And so I come to the, the conclusion, I think, that probably there's nothing within the text that reveals that they're lying, that most likely the father did charge this, understanding the way Jacob was, wanting to smooth things out, quite possibly. So what happened when they spoke to him? What happened when, when they shared the charge of their father concerning their repentance and asking for forgiveness? End of verse 17. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Joseph was truly moved. He had suffered greatly because of what they had done to him. But we're going to see Joseph had forgiven them. And he doesn't hold anything against them. And he is emotionally moved again and acknowledges over their acknowledgement of their sin against him. So what happens at this point? Look at verse 18. Then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. We're your servants. We're asking for forgiveness. They've sent a message. And now they've come and humbled themselves before him saying, We are your servants. And I really believe these brothers at this point understood their sin. I really do. I really do. And had confessed it as we saw, as we saw earlier in the book of Genesis. 
And they were concerned yet within this that Joseph would retaliate, that he would bear a grudge against them for all the evil they had done. So he, they humbled themselves before him. So how does Joseph respond? Look verse 19. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me, for, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve the many people alive. So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. This is an amazing climax to the book of Genesis, where again we see genuine faith in the life of Joseph. And we come across some incredible credible truths concerning the sovereignty of God over evil in the lives of those who love him. These brothers are concerned because of the great evil they had precipitated against Joseph, that he might bear a grudge and retaliate against them, and they have confessed their sin and humbled themselves. And Joseph responds this way, verse 19, but Joseph said to them, do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? This is quite an amazing statement. Joseph has certainly learned that it is not his place or any man's place to act as the judge concerning sin in the life of others. And I'm going to qualify that. I'm going to qualify that. You might be saying, wait a second, what about admonishing one another? How do we deal with sin in the lives of, of other believers, other lives? We'll look at that in a minute. I think what Joseph is saying here is you don't need to be afraid. I'm not the judge. God is. You don't need to be afraid of me. I'm not the judge, God is. And we need to come to the understanding, brothers and sisters, based on the word of God and a right view of him, that he is the judge. That he is the judge. He is the one who will bring forth vengeance and retribution to those who have truly not repented. And Joseph understood that. He is the judge. What does the Apostle Paul say in Romans chapter 12? Turn to Romans 12. Romans 12, verse 17. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Never. Never do that. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so as far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Never repay evil for evil. God is the righteous judge. He is the one. It is not our place, but his. Joseph says, am I in God's place? God is the one. You see, God, in fact, is the avenger of those who do evil. What does Paul tell the Thessalonians? Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. In relationship who, towards one who would do evil by, by uh, interacting, I'll show this for the kids, with someone else's spouse or something. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. 
and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger of these things. Just as we have told you before and solemnly warned you, God is the one who deals with sin. God is the one who deals with sin. We know uh, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, let the marriage bed be held in honor, let the marriage bed be undefiled for fornicators and adulterers. God will judge. God deals with sin. It is not within our sphere as man to be the avenger or the judge of sin. We'll talk about that in a minute. Joseph said to them, do not be afraid, for am I in God's place in regards to your sin towards me? That's really what he's saying. Am I in God's place? It is not our position to judge and thus punish anyone for their sin, but I need to clarify. We do make judgments as believers concerning sin in the body of Christ for the sake of restoration, reconciliation, and protection. 1 Corinthians 5, Matthew 18, Galatians 6, 1 Thessalonians 5, Romans 16, Titus chapter 3. We admonish, we make judgments. We, we may separate, whatever it might be, but we are not the judge pronouncing the sentence. We do not punish. Now, it's true that God has placed men in the position of government to bring forth his judgment, punishment of evil. Romans chapter 13, you can read that. They are God's avengers, but God is the one doing it through them. God is the one addressing sin. God is the one doing so. You can look at Romans 13 on your own time. It actually says that, that it is a minister for God, an avenger of those who bring wrath upon those who practice evil. Minister of God. We do not judge or punish anyone for their sin. We do not return evil. We leave room for the wrath of God. Now, sometimes people don't do that externally, but they do it internally. They punish people every day in their hearts. Joseph is not doing this. We make judgments concerning sin in the body of Christ for the sake of restoration, reconciliation, and protection but we do not pronounce a sentence or punish. Joseph understood this. And if you understand this, there is a great release because it's sin to hold on to these things. God takes care of it. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? Brother and sister, leave room by faith for the wrath of God. If anyone has affected you, has sinned against you, don't punish them with your actions or your heart attitude. God is the one who deals with sin. You know, we've been wrong. We've got a lot of hatred towards this body. Don't punish those people. God takes care of that. Pray for them. Pray for them. Leave room for the wrath of God. And again, I'm not talking about addressing things biblically which might cause separations in relationships. That's one might come to their senses and, and be right and then reconciled. Never pay back evil for, to evil for anyone, but leave room for the wrath of God, right? Leave room for the wrath of God. Do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? Now, inherent in that statement is, don't be afraid of me, Joseph is saying, but you need to be afraid of God if you're not right with him. If you're not right with him, you need to be afraid of him. Am I in God's place? You don't need to fear me, but you need to fear him. Because he is the judge. 
God is the judge concerning sin. He is the judge concerning us. You see, there will be a day of judgment. Turn to Matthew chapter 11. There is a day of judgment where every deed, every action, every word, God will deal with. Matthew chapter 11, verse 20. This is speaking of Jesus. Then he began to reproach the cities in which most of his miracles were done because they what? They did not repent. They didn't turn and then change their mind about their actions to, to God for forgiveness. They did not repent. Woe to you, Corazon. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? Hey, you're not going to heaven, are you? You shall descend to Hades. For if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it, it would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I say it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. There is a day of judgment. Turn to Acts chapter 17. This is the point that the Apostle Paul made to those wise guys, those, those, those Greek wise guys. They were the guys who thought they understood everything, and they were pagans. They were pagans. And the Apostle Paul shared the truth of judgment with pagans who didn't know anything about this. They were looking to hear new things, and Paul gave them something that was not just new to them, but true to them. Acts chapter 17, verse 30. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. There is a day of judgment. Therefore, God says you better repent before that day. He's declaring to all to acknowledge your sin, to turn to Jesus Christ and receive the forgiveness of sins, or that same Jesus will judge you, will judge you. (coughs) Chapter 5, that Jesus is the judge, that all judgment has been given over to the Son. We know in Revelation chapter 20 that there will be the one sitting on the great white throne. And, and all the dead and, and those in Hades will be judged by their deeds. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. And this is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone's name was not found written in the book of life. They were thrown in the lake of fire. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 Solomon says the conclusion when all is said and done, when everything is over, he says this, is to fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. God is going to judge. Joseph knew, am I in God's place? Am I in God's place? He understood that was God's right to judge. There's a judgment coming. And it is for your eternal destiny. You'll be judged for your sins if you're still in them and you will be cast into the lake of fire because of your sins. 
But the good news is that Jesus Christ, God's only Son, came and took on human flesh, that he paid the penalty God requires for your sin. God requires a penalty, that is death. He paid that penalty. He bore our sins in his body on the cross, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he died and he rose from the dead. And if you are willing to acknowledge your sin and turn to Jesus and believe that he died for your sins and rose from the dead, you will receive his righteousness. You will be cleansed of your sins and you will not go to that judgment. Your sins will be taken care of. You see, tremendous reality that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray, but he has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Grace and peace, Paul writes to the Galatians, to you from God our Father, Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us out of this present evil age according to the will of God our God and Father. If you are not saved, there is a judgment day. Now, for believers, there is a judgment for us, but it is not in regards to punishment for sin. It is in regards to the deeds done in the body and, and, and rewards lost or gained in eternity. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So, believers, God is still our judge, but we're not being judged eternally for sin. We will stand before the judgment seat of God. There is still a judgment. What we do in this body and our bodies now makes a difference. First Corinthians chapter three, verse ten. According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, Paul writes, and another is building upon it. But let each man be careful how he builds upon it. This is your life as a believer, by the way. He says, For no one can lay a foundation other than one that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds upon the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it will be revealed, it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built upon remains, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved. That's through fire. Believers don't go through eternal punishment but there are rewards. Look at Romans chapter 14. Romans 14. What we do in this life does matter. Romans chapter 14, verse 10. But why do you judge your brother? Again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of God. This is speaking to believers, not for judgment of sin and punishment, but, but for judgment, as we'll see. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. And you know the most wonderful thing about this is that a good account only happens when we trust Jesus and he enables us to do it. When we walk with him and abide in him, it's all through him. And it's not a burden. It's not burdensome. It's only when we're sinning it's burdensome. I'll tell you that right now, right? One last passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 
Therefore, also, verse 9, we have as our ambition, whether home or absent, that means in our bodies or with the Lord, to be pleasing to Him. That's the ambition. I hope that's your ambition. I want to be pleasing. Boy, I'm grieved when I'm not. I hope you are too. I want to be pleasing to the Lord. He says we have our ambition to be pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Believers, we are judged not for sin, but for our deeds in the body for rewards, right? Joseph understood by faith that God is the one who judges man. God is the one. And when we understand this, we are freed up to let go and trust God and forgive because God will take care of it. God will take care of it. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Either through the forgiveness of Jesus or through judgment by the judge of those who reject Jesus, which Jesus will judge them. So we have this incredible truth that Joseph understands. Back to Genesis and Joseph understood not only is God the judge, but God takes things that are evil and meant for evil and turns them to good. Look back in Genesis chapter 50, verse 19. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? Am I, am I the judge about your sin, guys? And as for you, here's what happened. You meant evil against me. They did. They meant it and they did it. But God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve the many people alive. So therefore, do not be afraid. Tremendous statement. Here we have two reasons Joseph declares to his brothers why they are not to be afraid of him retaliating or holding a grudge against them. You see, if you know these truths about God, you're not going to sinfully hold a grudge against somebody when they have wronged you and, and, and truly wronged you. Two reasons. First of all, we've already seen God isn't the judge, not us. But secondly, this tremendous statement, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good. We need to grasp that when we are in the midst of the fire. We need to grasp that when we're in the midst of difficulties. We need to grasp that in the midst of the things that come across us in this life, especially those things that are meant for evil. They are meant for evil. God is sovereign over these things. And what do I mean by sovereignty? It speaks of God's absolute power and authority over things. It speaks of the reality that He is ultimately in charge of everything. And even the evil that man does in his sovereignty, he turns it to good. And if we understand this, this will change our heart attitudes towards the evil that comes upon us. And we will be set free like Joseph was. As for you, you meant it for evil against me? He doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't say, you guys didn't understand what you were doing. He doesn't say, you were young and foolish and our dad didn't train us. He doesn't say we all had a bad childhood, two moms fighting all the time. He doesn't say any of those things. Now, you know why I said two moms, right? You understand Jacob and his two wives, right? Okay. The reality is, he says flat out, you meant it for evil. You meant it for evil. That's the truth. But yet, what has God meant it for? God sovereignly meant it for 
good. For good. And what was the good here? In order to bring about this present result. The present result was that Joseph was in charge and able to save the Israelites from their certain death in this famine. God meant it for good. The preservation of many people alive. Including you guys. Right? You did a horribly evil thing, but God took it and did good. Oh, it took a lot of time to bring it about. The saving of many people, including yourselves who did evil. Brothers and sisters, we need to understand by faith that every situation of evil that comes upon our way... Now, we have other situations that come difficulties. We, we trust the Lord to work those for good. But in this situation, it was meant for evil. And we need to understand those situations that God is turning it for good. Bob read this earlier. Turn to Romans chapter 8. We know these verses, but we need to know these verses in a practical belief. Not just understand it, but believe it in our hearts. Romans chapter 8. Verse 28. In the context of the difficulties we encounter, we're suffering even to the point where the Spirit of God intercedes and groans for us. Paul says, verse 28, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good. For those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. We know. We know this, but we need to apply this to our hearts by faith. We know he causes all things to work together for good. And he qualifies it to those who love him. Who are those who love him? those who have had their sins forgiven and have the Spirit of God and have the ability to love because He first loved us. Non-believer, nothing that's happening in your life is working for good apart from that which God will use to bring you to your knees to trust in Jesus Christ. Your own sins are actually storing up wrath against you for the day of wrath. But for believers, God causes all things to work together for good. And he expands upon that. For him he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. God uses it to make us like Jesus. He's doing good. He's doing good in all things. Will you believe him? Will you trust him? Will you renew your mind when you're tempted? We all are tempted. We all are tempted to to get distracted by the things in our midst. He causes all things to work together for good. And the Lord who predestined us to become conformed, he who predestined us, verse 30, these he also called, whom he called, he also justified, whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? Well, sometimes we got a big list. Hmm, I got a big list, right? But the reality is, if God is for you, He's working it all for good. Who could be against you? Who could be against you? He's turning it for good. The pressure is off, brothers and sisters. We can leave everything in the Lord's hands. And by faith, as Joseph did, know he is working good. Believe him by faith. By faith. What are you going through? Is there evil being precipitated upon you? God is the judge. It's in his hands. Trust him. He will deal with it. 
Joseph said, Do not be afraid. Am I in God's place? As for you, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good, back in chapter 50, to bring about this present result, to preserve many people alive. And then what he says in verse 21, So therefore, do not be afraid. And notice the graciousness of Joseph. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke kindly. There was a real question in their heart. Is Joseph going to take care of us now? Or is he going to hold a grudge against us? Hey, I'm not in God's place. He could forgive them. And he did. And he also did good to them. I will provide for you and your little ones. (coughs) So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. When you really leave things in God's hands, it enables you to respond in the way that he would respond. We're tempted to respond differently. Joseph is not bitter. He's not angry. He's not the judge. God is. He sees things rightly and responds graciously. Is there a situation in your life that you need to confess where you haven't responded rightly to those who have done evil to you? We're all tempted, right? I'm not talking about compromising principles and scripture to relate to those who are in sin. I'm talking about our response. Leave room for the wrath of God. Leave room for maybe the salvation of them instead. We pray for that, right? Whatever it might be. Is there any area you need to confess? Now, some of you are not believers and you need to be afraid of God because he is the judge. You are going to receive your ultimate judgment, not through mankind, but from God. You need to be afraid because you will face him someday and you will be condemned and tormented in hell forever. But that same judge came first in grace. And he lovingly and willingly went to the cross and paid the full penalty so that you can be saved. So, brother and sister, those of us who have been forgiven so much, are we willing to respond graciously and leave things in God's hands? Forgiving, Joseph did. So then, first of all, our faith must be grounded in the character and sovereignty of God. And to finish up, we're going to see that it must also be founded in the promises of God. Look at verse 22. Now Joseph stayed in Egypt, he and his father, and he and his father's household, and Joseph lived 110 years, and Joseph saw the third generation of Ephraim's sons, also the sons of Machar, the son of Manasseh, who were, <coughs> were born on Joseph's knees. What we see here is that Joseph and his father's household, well, that's all his brothers and descendants, stayed in Egypt. And Joseph lived, end of verse 22, 110 years. Remember, Joseph was in Egypt in chains when he was 17. Remember that? And Joseph was blessed to see the descendants of the third generation. 23. And Joseph saw the third generation of Ephraim's sons, also the sons of Meshar and the son of Manasseh, who were born on Joseph's knees. And now at this point, Joseph is dying, and he declares his faith in the promises or promise of God. Verse 24, And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely take care of you. Isn't that wonderful? Reminds me of a song. And if you look down a little farther, verse 25, God will take care of you right? I'm about to die. And obviously Joseph, God was taking care of them through Joseph. Obviously he's going to die now. God will take care of you. 
God will take care of you and bring you up from this land to the land which he promised on oath to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones up from here. This is what is spoken of in Hebrews chapter 11. This is what is spoken of where, where Joseph is speak, is, is where the Lord testifies of Joseph's faith. Hebrews 11:22 by faith when he was Joseph when he was dying made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones Joseph reveals two things on his deathbed about what God has promised that he believes two things two things First of all, he reveals the reality that God will bring them back to the land of Canaan as he promised. I'm about to die, but God will surely take care of you and bring you up from this land to a land which he promised on oath to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. God's going to take care of you. It's repeated. The term take care of means to visit. It speaks of a tender care. I'm about to die, but God's going to take care of you. And he mentions the exodus by faith. You see, he believed the truth that had been shared to Abram in Genesis chapter 15. Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they serve, and afterwards they will come out with many possessions. Joseph believed the truth that God would bring them back to Canaan. And on his deathbed, he believes God's word. And he continues... God will take care of you. And he made them swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, verse 25, and you shall carry my bones up from here. So Joseph died at the age of 110 years, and he was embalmed and placed in a coffin in Egypt. The Israelites needed to know that God would take care of them in Egypt and that he would eventually bring them back to the land which he had promised. And Joseph, by faith, made mention while he was dying of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. That's what God testifies of Joseph. He believed my word. He believed my word. You see, and we see in other passages that they did bring his bones back. We see it in Exodus chapter 13 and Joshua chapter 24. So Joseph died at the age of 110 years, and he was embalmed and placed in a coffin in Egypt. We need to believe what God has said by faith. We need to believe it. Regardless of what we see, we need to believe the promises that he has made to us in his word. Joseph believed. He believed the word of God, and that's what pleases God. That's what pleases God. God didn't commend him for all the other stuff and didn't mean he didn't do wrong. He did, he did well. He was walking with the Lord. The Lord was with him, yes. But in the end of his life, he commends him for believing the Word of God, the promises directly related to him and his family. Joseph understood God's character. He was a judge and sovereign over all, and he also understood and believed what God said. How do we get through difficult times where we are suffering, where you might be having evil brought forth before you, whatever it might be? We need to recognize God does it for good. He turns it for good. Some may mean it for evil. There may be just trials. Whatever it is, God works all things together 
for good to those who love him. And then believe his word. Believe his word. These things were not fulfilled in Joseph's life. He believed it while he was dying. They didn't, they weren't, they were in Egypt and he was dying and he believed it and he charged them to bring his bones back and God commands him. What about you? Are you struggling? Get back in the word of God. See what your God is really like. Believe what he has said and apply it to your heart. Are you struggling? Has evil come upon you? Get back in the word of God. Believe what he has said. He is turning it all for good. And that will enable you with a right heart to respond rightly and graciously. We've seen Joseph's example of faith. How about you? Will you be like Joseph? Will you see the circumstances through the character and sovereignty and promises of God? Will you do so? Will we do so? It will set you free from your fears and you'll be able to respond rightly. Lastly, we need to trust and believe simply what God has said like Joseph did. So at the end of this book, it's interesting, the book ends with death. We see in the beginning that Satan lied and said, when you disobey, you will not surely die. The wages of sin is death. Joseph died. But because Joseph had faith in the seed of Abraham, he lives. And you can live too. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. What a tremendous encouragement it is and what a tremendous blessing it is to see and be reminded of your faithfulness and to see the faithfulness of one of your servants, Lord God, which is an example written for our instruction. Father, thank you for your faithfulness that you take what is meant for evil and turn it to good, that you take uh, everything and work all things together for good to those who love you, to those who are called according to your purpose. Father, I pray that you will remind us of these things as we inevitably as believers go through difficult times, as we inevitably uh, can be distracted and discouraged, whatever it might be, that we will see you rightly and we will believe what you have said and we will stand on those promises that you would be glorified lord we thank you for your truth we thank you for your son and it is in his name we pray